love that new song. <clears throat> In fact, that's kind of our theme song for we've declared this the season of hope. And so that is what we want to do this holiday season is bring hope to our city, to our country, to our world. It's kind of our mission. And so I hope you'll engage that with us. And speaking of the holidays, guys, get ready. It's that time. It's the time you're going to be kicked out of your recliner and sent up to the attic, down to the basement, into the storage facility to retrieve all of those Christmas decorations. And you will be, your life will become, for at least a weekend, or for some, maybe a week or two, um, decorating. You will be decorating and helping with decorating inside and outside of the house. Now, when I was a single guy, I used to relish in the fact that I don't have to decorate. <laughs> if I don't want a tree, I don't have to have a tree. And on December 27th, when everyone was stressed out and worried about having to pack it all back up, I was laying back going, well, see, I don't have to worry about a thing, but now I'm married. And things are a little bit different. It is quite a value in our home. And just yesterday, things started popping up around our house. Christmas decorations. It's not Thanksgiving, but there, there are decorations around my house. And if you're like my family, you might have a box something like this. And inside this box, if you open it, you will find, well, here is a, a Joseph. And here is a, a Mary, and I believe there is, there's a little sheep in here, and some wise men, and yeah, look, it's a little baby Jesus in a manger. That's a really little one, though, but this is the little baby Jesus in a manger. And you know, I got to thinking about this, and thinking about this box with Jesus in a manger, and got to thinking about how this kind of represents our lives, doesn't it? So often, that's what we do. We, we put Jesus in a box, and we put him on a shelf. And I got to thinking, how sad is it that this little Jesus, although we've had this, this manger for years and years and years, he has spent the lion's share of that time in a box on a shelf. And all too often, that's what we do with Jesus. We put him in a box, and we put him on a shelf, and that's how we interact with him throughout most of our lives. Think about this concept of the box. When something is in a box, what we're talking about is we have put some framework around it. We have defined it based upon maybe our, our background, our experiences, where we've been, what we've done, our education, our personality, our opinions. And, and we define things and we put them in boxes and then that's how we interact and relate to that particular thing. Now, if something is out of the box, then what does that mean? It means it goes against that framework that we have defined, right? And so often when something is out of the box, it pushes the envelope for us, and it challenges us, and sometimes it's a little hard to deal with. For example, many of us, probably all of us, have food boxes, things that we like and don't like. Based on where we grew up and what we are accustomed to, we have certain tastes for certain things. And for some of you, if I invited you over to dinner and I served up a huge platter of sushi, you would want to gag. You would look at that and say, are you kidding me? You want me to eat a plate of raw fish? Now, I've heard that like in Alpharetta, they call it sushi. But in Paulding County, they just call it bait. 
Now, if you were asked to eat this, you would probably bow up and say, no way, I am not going to eat that. That is gross. It's slimy. It's, there's just no way. Others of you would say, oh, awesome. I love sushi. We all have boxes that we work within, and we have a tendency to push Jesus in the box. But the truth is, Jesus was out of the box. And in this series that we're launching today, we're going to look at some of the statements that Jesus made that were out of the box, especially for the culture of the day. He spoke and taught and led the Jewish people. And in their society, they lived by the box, the Jewish law. This box was very rigid. It defined how they were to, to relate to one another, what they were to eat, how, what they were to do when they got up, when they went to bed. I mean, every little tenet of their lives was outlined in the box, the law. And Jesus comes on the scene, this rabbi, this teacher, who taught things a little bit different. His way of teaching went against the grain of some of the, the religious elite of the day. And he, he challenged some of their ideas and their hearts, and it was out of the box. And for a lot of people, it was a hard piece of sushi to swallow. <laughs> they couldn't hardly deal with it because it was so out of the box. Well, hopefully through this series, we are going to learn more about Jesus through some of his statements, and also challenge ourselves to get outside of the box. What we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the I am statements of the New Testament. There are several places in the New Testament where Jesus said, I am this. And when he says, I am, that's referencing the Old Testament. Remember the story of Moses and the burning bush? When Moses was being told to go to Pharaoh to, to get permission to lead the people of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. And Moses says, who am I to say sent me? He says, tell them I am has sent you. That is, I am God. I am God. That phrase is referencing the name of God, Jehovah God, which means incomprehensible God a God that our minds cannot even contain, a God that is so out of the box we can't hardly even deal with it. It is self-existent God, a God that, that exists in and of himself and is not dependent on anyone or anything for his existence. He is in complete and total control and all power and authority. It is also unchangeable God, a God that is static, that is constant, a God you can trust. That is the I am God, Jehovah God. And when Jesus said, I am, he was saying, I am Jehovah, and then he would add another descriptor to that, usually a word picture. In these I am statements, he said things like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And as we dig in and study these things, we're going to realize just how out of the box he is, but also hopefully blow up some of the boxes that we have formed in our own lives. So we're going to dive into that today with the first I am statement by looking at John chapter 6. <clears throat> Let me tell you about this, this, this story. Many of you are, are familiar with it. Jesus and his disciples were, were sitting on a mountainside, and they look out, and they see this crowd coming toward him. And so Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says, 
how are we going to feed all these people? You see, they were seeking him out. He had been doing some crazy wild things, and, and he was teaching this new way. He was this intriguing figure, and they were trying to figure him out. And so here comes this crowd, and he turns to his disciples and says, how are we going to feed all these people? Well, the disciples say, well, we don't have enough money. Um, there's not enough to, to buy enough food. And one says, well, there's this boy with, with some loaves and some fish. And if you remember the story, Jesus takes the loaves and the fish and he multiplies it and he feeds the crowd. Well, after he feeds the crowd, they're pretty overwhelmed by it. And they start quarreling and debating and thinking to themselves and they start contemplating how they can make Jesus their king because they thought if Jesus could become their king, then he could help them overthrow the Roman Empire and some of their circumstances would change for the better. Well, rather than his disciples be influenced by all of this political jargon, he sent his disciples into a boat and across the sea, across the lake. And if you remember, um, that's where the, they go into the storm. Jesus had walked up on a mountain to pray and later walks on the water to join his disciples. He calms the storm. They get to the other side. Well, the next morning, the people get up and they start scratching their heads and they're going, wait, there were two boats. There's just one Jesus never got in a boat. Where is he? And they're trying to figure it out. And finally, they, they get to the other side, and they find Jesus and the disciples. And they go to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, that bread that you fed us was so awesome. We want some more of it. Can you give us some more bread? We would love to see you do that again. Now listen how Jesus responds to them. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, not because you, you know that I'm God, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You just want more bread. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. What he's saying is, you guys are going over the river and through the woods and across the sea and doing all of this work trying to get to this, this bread that you, that you got. You're spinning your wheels. That bread perishes. Why don't you seek the bread that will lead to eternal life that will satisfy your true hunger? Well, the people didn't quite get it. And they said, well, how are we to work toward that bread? How are we to earn it? What are we to do to get it? Because in their box, they had to work to have a relationship with God. They had to obey the law, law. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. This is the work of God, believe. So with that, the, the people said, all right, you're claiming to be God. Well, if we are to believe that, if we are to follow that, then you gotta give us more. You, you gotta do something else, Jesus. We, we've seen this trick of the, of, the, of the bread. I mean, Moses produced bread in the wilderness. Now, now, now do something else. Wow us with some signs, some wonders. Do something big for us. And so Jesus responds to that. And he says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. You see, he's trying to get it through their brains that he is the bread of life, the one that could give them eternal life. 
that it wasn't Moses who did it, but God who did it. And so with that, he just lays it out there. If there wasn't any question, now there wouldn't be. Listen to what he says. Jesus said to them, I am, remember what that means, Jehovah God, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Here we have this rabbi, this son of Joseph and Mary, the son of a carpenter from an unseemly family from Galilee, who'd become a teacher, a rabbi, who is saying he is Jehovah, I am God, the bread of life. Whoa, this was just a little too much for these people to handle. It was so outside of their box. Jesus goes on to explain it. He said, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's referencing the fact that he would go and he would die for their sin and pay the price so that they could have eternal life. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. He's telling them, I'm the bread of life, If you will consume this bread, if you will receive this bread, then you will have eternal life with God in heaven. Now, the people got really confused by this. You see, they they took him literally. They, They thought he was actually telling them, you have to eat my flesh. You have to take a bite out of my arm in order to have eternal life. And that just blew them away. I mean, if it wasn't out of the box, now this was really out of the box. And they start debating and quarreling about this whole thing. And did he really mean the bread of life? We've got to eat and drink his blood that's against our law. We can't do that. It was blowing their minds. Even, even his, his disciples, the 12, had a hard time with that. So let's look at what happens. He tries to explain it. And he says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. You're wrong in all this. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. And in parentheses it says, for Jesus knew from the beginning that, those, that there were those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. He knew that Judas was in the camp and would not believe and would betray him. And with all of this statement, because it was so intense and so out of the box for where these people were, it says that many of them left, that they walked away. If you look in John 6, 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned their back and no longer walked with him. After that, Jesus looks over to his disciples. The, the guys that, that he went to specifically and called to, to be his followers and, and to, to learn from him and to carry on his ministry. And he looks to these guys he says, okay, what are you going to do? Are you going to bolt on me as well? This is your chance. Are you going to head out? Are you going to run for the hills? Or are you going to continue to follow me? Are you going to consume the bread of life? And I love what Simon Peter says to them. Listen to his response. Simon Peter answered them, Lord, to whom shall we go? <laughs> He's saying, who else are we going to follow? I mean, There's no other rabbi, there's no other teacher quite like you. And then he goes on to say, you have the words of eternal life, the bread of life. 
and we have believed and have come to know, get this, that you are the Holy One of God, that you are I Am, you are Jehovah, incomprehensible, self-existent, unchangeable God. And he acknowledged the fact that he was God. Now, when you look at this whole story, I'd like to point you to one fundamental issue. And that fundamental issue is this. They had an issue with belief. The crowd just had a hard time truly believing. And at every course or every turn, Jesus brought it back to belief. He said, what is the will of God? It's to believe. What is the work of God? It is to believe. How are you going to consume the bread of life? It is to believe. The people here had an issue. That issue was not believing in Jesus. It was believing Jesus. You see, there's a difference. There is a difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. Let me explain it. The, the Jewish people there said, you know what? We can believe in Jesus as long as he fits in our box. We can believe in a kind of a genie in the bottle Jesus, a Jesus that we can rub that will produce things for our lives and fix our problems. We can believe in this powerful leader Jesus who could overthrow the the Roman Empire and be our king. We can believe in that Jesus. We can believe in in a Jesus who can wow us and entertain us and overwhelm us with all of these cool things that he's doing. We can believe in this Jesus. We can believe in a Jesus that teaches some good things and makes us have some warm fuzzies in our life. We can believe in that Jesus because that Jesus fits in our box. But Jesus, he did not say, I will be who you want me to be. Jesus said, I am. I am eternal, self-existent, unchangeable Jehovah God who is the bread of life who will satisfy your hunger and your thirst. I am God. And that was a hard thing for them to swallow. It was so outside of their box. And with that, they bolted. And why? Why did they leave? Why did they have such a hard time with it? Well, the price was just too high. The cost of following Jesus and getting outside of their box, it was just too risky for them. Think about it. They were so entrenched in their Jewish culture that to follow Jesus, this new way of doing things, might mean that they would lose friends and family, that they would be ridiculed and persecuted for their belief in Jesus. They knew that this was a little uncertain. They weren't sure where this thing was heading. It was so new. And to walk forward in that was a huge leap of faith. And for many people, it was just too far out of the box. And they just couldn't deal with it. The price was too high. And so they bolted. But you know something? When we truly believe something, it changes our behavior. Believing is an action not just this idea that we grab onto and agree with. It is action, no matter what the cost, no matter what the price. Think about this. There's there's a few things in my life that I 
hate paying for it. You know what I'm talking about? We were talking about it in the green room backstage a little while ago. The things that we hate to pay for. Someone said, I hate paying for parking at a hospital. Can I get an amen? Here I am going into surgery and paying $5 to park. I mean, that's just hard to swallow. That was a good illustration, wasn't it? Sorry. I hate paying for repairs, but one of the things I hate paying for the most, you ready for this? (coughs) It's tires. I hate buying new tires. I don't know what it is. It's like after you spend six hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars on a new pair of tires, all you end up with is four round strips of rubber. There's no satisfaction in that for me. Well, I was living in a bit of denial a few weeks ago. We have a car that was um, just a couple of years old for us, anyway. It's a used car, but the tires were in good condition. And in my mind, we've only had this two years. There's no way those tires are bad yet. And so I went for an oil change. I said, can you rotate the tires as well? And they come back to me and they say, I'm sorry, we can't rotate the tires. And I'm like, why? I said, because they're, they're, they're bad. And we can't rotate them if they're that bad. I'm like, you're kidding me. And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, they don't know what they're talking about. And so I went home. Well, after that, I began to get a little, you know, just a little bit scared. And Lindsay would want to go out in the car. And maybe it was raining. And I'm like, oh, no, take the other car, you know. I just didn't want to take a chance of her skidding off the road because of bad tires or having a blowout or something like that. And, and the more I thought about that, the more I realized, the more I came to terms with the fact the truth is I have bad tires and I'm going to have to fork over the funds. I'm going to have to pay the price to get new tires. So I went to the store, I got new tires, I paid the money, and you know what? When I got home, I actually was a little bit proud of my new tires. <laughs> I love the smell of those new tires in the garage. But what was best was I had peace and security that knowing when we were on the road, we had a good set of tires and were a little bit safer because we had paid the price and had purchased the tires. When we believe in Jesus, we believe what he has said and what his words are to us, and we allow ourselves to get out of the box, we are willing to pay the price. It moves us to action, and on the other side of that action, when we walk forward in belief and faith, there is peace, and there is security, that he is who he is, and that what he said is true. Now, there's a question here that there may be some of you who are asking. I would be asking this. I've had to ask it myself. A lot of times people say, well, How do I know, though, that Jesus is God? I mean, there's a lot of people who have claimed to be God. How do I know I can trust that? I mean, I get confused with all the denominations and and all of the opinions and all the things I hear. And when I talk to people like that, I basically say, well, you know what? It all boils down to one thing. One thing you have to address and reconcile, and that is the resurrection of Jesus. You see, not long after this story takes place, Jesus goes to the cross, and he dies. He pays the price for your sin and for mine, our sin that has separated us from God. And he pays the price to atone for our sin. And then he did the thing that no one else has ever done. He resurrected from the dead. And that miracle alone proved himself God proved him to be the I am God. And if Jesus is God, then what he says is true. And if what he says is true, 
then it has authority in my life and I must face it and I must respond to it no matter what the price may be. Jesus proved himself God. And because he is God, I can know that he is Jehovah, that he is the bread of life. He is the one who will provide eternal life for me if I will just accept that bread and receive him into my life and acknowledge him as the Lord of my life. Now, I know a lot of you would say, well, I get that, Troy. I mean, I don't, I don't deny that. He is God. He died for my sin. I've invited him into my life. I've committed to following him with my life. He lives in me. His spirit has been deposited in me. What's the take-home for me? Well, see, what I have realized in studying this is that recognizing him as the bread of life is just not about getting our ticket to heaven. Recognizing him as the bread of life is an ongoing thing. As believers in Jesus, we have to continually to feed on that bread. We have to continually consume that bread in our lives. We were all created by God with a hunger, a holy hunger, a hunger, a craving to be in a right relationship with our creator, with God. And that hunger often manifests itself in a deep, deep need for forgiveness, for healing in our life because of our decisions, because of our sin. It often looks like a a deep need for peace and satisfaction, contentment in our present, and hope and security for our future. And when this deep, internal, core need is left unchecked, unmet, then that hunger and that craving can manifest itself externally in our lives. And it begins to, to, to play upon our decisions and our choices in life, our relationships, how we relate to others, our attitude, our behavior, the confusion and chaos, the the dissatisfaction, the unsettledness, oftentimes just the unhappiness we have with ourselves. This is what that, that holy hunger looks like and feels like in our life. And you know what? When we're hungry, we'll do anything to satisfy that hunger at times. You know, one of the best examples I can think of to talk about hunger, and I'm sorry about this, Lindsay, I'll just go ahead and say that, is the, the, the hunger of a pregnant woman. I mean, seriously, pregnant women can get hungry. I mean, it's like they morph into this whole new person when they're pregnant and hungry. When Lindsay was pregnant earlier this year or end of last year, there was one day, if she did not have Kentucky Fried Chicken Mashed Potatoes, I thought she was going to bite my arm off. She had to have it and had to have it now, and I had to drive 20 miles to get it. When we would go out on a, on a date or to run errands, I would just suddenly say, um, honey, did you pack some crackers by chance? Because <laughs> I did not want to face the hunger of a pregnant woman. And, and one night, even after the baby was born, we were up with the baby, we had fed him, I was putting him back to bed and kind of taking care of things, and I hear this crunching. And I look over, and she's in the bed at 3 a.m. eating crackers. I'm like, are you eating at this time? And she looked at me and said, so? 
I mean, a, hu- a hungry pregnant woman, you don't want to mess with that. Because when you're hungry, you will do anything you can to satisfy that hunger. And all too often, when we are hungry spiritually, when we have that holy hunger, that need for a right relationship with God, we get off track. And we miss the truth of who God is and what he wants to do. And we get confused like those people in that story. And we begin to look to other things to try to satisfy that hunger. We might turn to religion. If I can just be a little more religious, put a denominational label on my back, and go through some hoops and hurdles and do some things. If I can just be more successful, you know, climb the corporate ladder, get the president of the PTA position. If I could be a, a, a better mom or dad, if I could be a star athlete, if I could be more successful, make more money, buy more things, live in this house. If I could dress this way or that way, if I could have this status or image, and sometimes we turn to, to unhealthy behaviors, substances, spending money that we don't have, and, and becoming a slave to fashion and some of these kinds of things, all trying to satisfy that deep, deep need in all of us that God created, trying to satisfy that holy hunger. And nothing, at the end of the day, seems to work. It's as if we have just been feasting on appetizers. It's like filling up with chips and hot sauce before the real meal comes. It's like snacking on nuts and candy and crackers throughout the day. So it kind of pacifies the hunger a little bit, but it never really satisfies. What's interesting is Jesus knew this. He said, why are you seeking bread that perishes? Why not feed on the real bread of life? If you look in Isaiah, I love this verse. Let me read it to you. Isaiah 55, it says this. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me. He's saying lean into this, get it, and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. I think we would all say, that we fell into the trap of building a box for our lives of what we think will satisfy. And we try to live our lives interacting with that box. Jesus may be in it and may have a part of it, but it never completely satisfies. So how are we going to be satisfied? What is the true bread? How do we consume it? Well, I think Jesus answers that in Matthew 4. This is what he says. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, physical bread, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The words of God, the Bible, the scripture, these are the words of God to us. And if we are ever going to to be satisfied with the real meal, with the true bread that brings life to our bones, then we're going to have to feed on the words of God. We're going to have to chew on it. We're going to have to swallow it. We're going to have to allow it to penetrate our our pores and walk forward in faith and belief and allow it to, to take root in our life and believe what it says because it is from I am. It is from Jehovah God who said, I am the bread of life. Now, as I've worked through this this week, this has, has really challenged me because I'm kind of more like 
the crowd, even though I'm a pastor and I've been to seminary and I've been a Christian for a long time, I have a tendency to put Jesus in a box. And so often, I believe God allows us to face some out-of-the-box circumstances in our life because it challenges us to consider him anew and afresh. It pushes us out of the box. When we nudge up close to Jesus, it always will force us to the walls of our box. Last year, many of you know, almost a, a year ago, November 29th last year, I was diagnosed with colon cancer. Now that was out of the box for me. For a 43-year-old guy, that was not part of the plan. What, what else was? My wife was seven months pregnant. And here we are facing this out-of-the-box situation. Well, thankfully, God was merciful, and he healed me, and, and I'm cancer-free today. And, and we have... Thank you. We have an eight-month-year-old boy who is healthy as he can be and is happy, and it's just a, a great story of God's compassion and mercy in, in our lives. But you know what? That out-of-the-box situation continues even today because, well, there was surgery, and then four months later, there was labor and delivery, and now there are medical bills still. We had great insurance, but still there's that extra 10% that you have to pay, you know? And so every month, I sit down to pay these bills. And, and you know how it is. Finances can, can freak you out. And you get stressed out, and I get frustrated by it. And like, where's it going? And, and who knew babies would cost so much? I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, all of the diapers, and the, he doesn't wear the same diaper forever, and he has a new diaper. And, and then... I'm like, how wet is that, really? I mean, could we, could we spare a little bit more? And wipes and, and toys for every stage of development. Oh, he's doing a new thing. Oh, good, we need a new toy. And so there's just all of these expenses. And as the provider of the family, it weights down on you at times, you know? It gets a little stressful, and I find myself getting anxious. And it's very easy to kind of get down about finances and, and depressed and and to struggle through that. Well, as I have read this whole story, and as I've been challenged to look to God, not only as the whole, holy I am God, but as the bread of life who wants to satisfy my life, I've changed my approach. Because typically I would go to God, like the people, and I would say, okay, God, you know what? I believe you are the healing God. I believe that you are a provider, God. God, change my situation. Just take away those bills and provide money that I don't even know where it will come from, but I believe in you. That was kind of my box. And I was well-meaning. I wanted to trust God for things. Now, let me add this. Don't get me wrong. God is compassionate toward our physical and our circumstantial needs. We see it in this, this, this story he was compassionate toward the crowd. He fed the 5,000. But he died for our spiritual needs. He paid the price so that we could be in a right relationship with him. And all too often, my box is kind of out of whack. I go to him to, to fix my circumstances rather than going to him to change my spiritual need, to satisfy that holy hunger that is within me. And he's challenged me to get out of the box. 
and to look at Jesus in a different way. And so now I'm challenged, and I'm still working through this. This is like a work in progress. When I'm anxious about finances or any other situation in my life, rather than sitting down and praying and reading and just saying, God, change me, change the situation, I have to go to him and say, God, what is my need here? What is that core need, that holy hunger that you want to satisfy within me before we talk about anything else circumstantial in my life? What is it you want to seed in me spiritually? And I found that if I am going to, to be satisfied spiritually, that I have to first empty myself. If God is going to fill me with the bread of life, then I have to empty myself first and foremost. And for me, that has meant that I have to get honest with God and say, God, okay, in this area of finances, I've been unfaithful. In this, this particular area, I've had the wrong attitude. Perhaps I've been too materialistic or I've chased status and I've spent money on this and I, I thought that that thing would satisfy me. And maybe I've been unfaithful. Maybe I've not led my family in the proper way when it comes to finances. God, forgive me. I just empty myself of all of that stuff. And then I pick up his word, the Bible. And I begin to read the scriptures, the principles, the direction that he wants to give me. And he begins to give me some wisdom and some direction and even conviction in my life on how I need to behave. And then I'm at the crossroad of whether I'm just going to believe in it or I'm going to believe it and walk forward no matter what the price, no matter what I have to sacrifice or do without in order to believe him at his word and allow him to satisfy that holy hunger that is within me. And you know what? It's not a one-time thing. It's not like I prayed on Tuesday and I feel great Tuesday afternoon. It's a wrestling through. It's a day-to-day process of working through and opening myself up, emptying myself and opening myself to what he wants to speak into my life and taking that and chewing on it and swallowing it and walking forward in faith and belief no matter the cost. And what I found is when I walk forward in belief, he begins to satisfy. He begins to deposit those, those crumbs and those pieces of bread, of hope, of satisfaction, of direction, of security, of peace and joy in my life. Something that all of these other things that I would chase could never satisfy. Why? Because he is I am. He is the bread of life who wants to satisfy our deepest hunger first and foremost. And that has been an out-of-the-box approach for me. Jesus said, I am, Jehovah God, the bread of life, the one who wants to provide eternal life for you, but also to meet your spiritual hunger from day to day. That is an out-of-the-box statement. My question to you this morning is will you believe it? Will you receive it and allow your box to be blown up? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you again so much for just the 
the unbelievable power of the words you give us and how you truly are compassionate toward us and want to change our lives continually. Thank you that you did die for us and proved yourself, God, that we have hope that we can rest in you as a foundation. If there's someone here this morning that would say, well, you know, for some reason, things have just become more clear to me today, and I've never recognized and, and invited Jesus into my life and committed to following him as the bread of life, then I invite you to just say, Jesus, come into my life. I, I recognize this. Peter said, you are the Holy One of God, and there's no one else I can turn to. Forgive me of my sin and restore a right relationship with you. Others of you, maybe you're here and you would say, I need to feast upon the true bread. I've been chasing all of the boxes and all of the appetizers. And today I just want him to satisfy my core hunger in my life. God, I pray for these people. That they would begin to seek you and find you and believe you and walk forward in that belief. And realize the truth that you truly are the bread of life who will satisfy our hunger and our thirst. Thank you, Lord, for what this means in our life. Thank you for what you have done, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.